A betting man would put his money on Stannis. As it happens, I am a betting man. Welcome to a very special episode of the Channel 33 Podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. That clip you just heard really requires no explanation. It comes from a pretty popular television program called Game of Thrones. And the reason it requires no explanation is that Game of Thrones is the most mainstream monoculture TV show left on our splintered entertainment landscape. It's the closest TV comes to the Oscars or the Super Bowl. And speaking of which, like the Oscars, like the Super Bowl, you can now place bets on Game of Thrones. That's right. Just as you might bet on the outcome of a sporting event, you can now bet on the outcome of Game of Thrones. As the show's popularity increases, more and more online sportsbooks are getting into the Game of Thrones gambling game. You can go to these sites and bet on who will sit on the Iron Throne at the end of the season or at the end of the series. You can enter pools to predict the next character to die. You can pick out prop bets about special occurrences on the show. And one of the most prominent sites where you can wager on thrones is Bovada, an online gambling and casino game site for sports and entertainment. And Thrones is a little bit different from the database sports that Bovada does big business on. This is a scripted series. So we wanted to know how this works. How did they decide to take bets on Game of Thrones? Who sets the odds and how? How do they adjust them as the season goes on? How does the action on Thrones betting compared to the action in sports betting? We have many questions, and today we'll be joined by Pat Morrow, Bovada's head odds maker, to explain the whole process. We'll talk about how Pat came to do this job, his experience with the Game of Thrones series, what kind of research he has to do to make sure Bovada makes money on its Game of Thrones bets, and some of the benefits it brings to the site indirectly. A small disclaimer here, Pat and I do discuss some spoilers about Game of Thrones, as well as some speculation about future seasons of the show and some fan theories. We don't necessarily know how any of this is going to play out. If we did, we could make a fortune betting on Game of Thrones. But just be warned if you're trying to avoid any outside knowledge of the show. All right, words are wind. So without any more setup, I'd like to bring in our guest, Pat Morrow. Hi, Pat. Thanks for joining me. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I am very curious about just how the Game of Thrones odd setting compares to the rest of your job. So could you describe to me how hands-on a role you normally take as the head odds maker when it comes to sports or, or anything else that you're involved in? Uh, sure. So the difference between something like Game of Thrones and day-to-day sports uh, is, yeah, it's quite different. I'm not as hands-on with a lot of the other sports products that we put out there, although I will dictate or sign off on philosophies for different teams working under me. Under me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Game of Thrones is uh, just something that I, you know, a little entertainment stuff like that, which is kind of fun for us to do. And uh, something that breaks up uh, the monotony of uh, day-to-day sports that can see, especially when it's baseball season like this. I do enjoy baseball, but sometimes it can be a bit much for it to be the same old, same old each day. So uh, trying to put up something that everyone else on Twitter is talking about right now is a little bit more fun for me to do. So as a result of that, while I have teams that work under me that handle a lot of those main sports, and I keep an eye on that. I'll do uh, a lot of stuff related to Game of Thrones, uh, a lot of Donald Trump stuff that we posted lately. And that uh, allows me to have a little bit more fun and let the guys under me have a little bit more responsibility for some of the more higher handle uh, wagering events uh, leading into football season. Mm-hmm. So what is the origin story of getting Game of Thrones on the site? How long had you been considering this? When was the moment that you decided the time was right? Uh, well, we've always liked to do... Uh, you know, entertainment props like uh, Dancing with the Stars, uh, reality shows are popular. And then I guess a little bit more and more of the last few years, 
I saw how popular Twitter was with sporting events. Mm-hmm. And uh, as someone who was a fan of the show myself, I'd see that Twitter would kind of be taken over by Game of Thrones chatting uh, when the show would inevitably be on on Sunday nights. So not just with Game of Thrones, but really with anything else out there, we try and do similar stuff uh, with sporting events. If there's, if a pitcher's got like a perfect game going or something like that, we might try and post a live on. So I guess it was probably in the last couple of years where we started to cater a lot of uh, what we do, not just around the traditional wagering, but also what are people talking about right now? So that's where we got into how much can we get out of uh, Game of Thrones? How much can we get out of uh, stuff related to The Walking Dead, potentially? How much can we get out of Trump because people talk about him every day? Mm-hmm. And how can we let, uh, you know, instead of us trying to figure out what the product is we put out there, let people online let us know what they're doing, what they're interested in. And how can we put out something that adds a little bit more enjoyment to uh, their viewer experience? Mm-hmm. So when you decided to, to go ahead with Thrones, do you remember exactly when that was and kind of what the, the lead up time to it was and how you had to prepare? Right. I think we did it uh, started two summers ago. And we started, uh, oh, sorry, not two summers ago, two falls ago. And we gave ourselves more than a couple months to really look at everything, really uh, – try and go through the fan theories, uh, go through all the Reddit stuff, uh, because I'm someone that's read all the books uh, several times. So I thought at that point, like, oh, okay, I, I think I've got a good hold on that. And then you go through Reddit and you see these people with the plot points and right. the theories that they have, and they totally blow me away with some of the stuff <laughs> they have out there. Uh, yeah. The latest uh, Jamie Lannister one about potentially being Azora High uh, is one of the best ones I've seen so far. Uh-huh. And him actually being the, the Valonqar instead of Tyrion. I mean, that's, when you think that you've like, okay, like you've spotted everything. So we're constantly scouring the internet uh, to try and think of stuff that we haven't seen. And now that we're at a point that the book, that the, t- the show, sorry, is not only uh, deviated, but also surpassed uh, what the book's uh, storyline was or timeline was. Now we kind of have to throw out what we originally knew and just try and react to whatever we're reading on the internet, because we never know if someone's going to come across a, uh, whether it's that same Reddit thread or one of those uh, Song and Ice and Fire message boards, and uh, you know, look to see uh, whether we're seeing any kind of unbalanced action based on you know the latest theory that's out there. So it's it's fun for me because I like to read all the fan theories as well. I can definitely get lost and do it for a couple hours sometimes, uh, but it can be a bit maddening. And I mean, if some of these theories are true, I mean, it just speaks to the brilliance of uh, how this could potentially all play out. Yeah. Do you feel as though the handicapping has gotten any easier since you started doing Thrones odds just because the the chess pieces are, you know, some of them have been wiped off the board and, and we're closer to the end game? Or, or do you feel like there's still as much uncertainty as ever? I think it's a bit easier because we're now uh, you're having less and less fan theories come out just by nature because there can only be so many or less and less credible ones, I'd say. Like mm-hmm. when they all first started coming out, you're trying to balance all of them. And holy crap, that's a lot of information out there. And a lot of them are really good. And now with some of those either get clarified, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Jon Snow's uh, birth origin mm-hmm. or whether some of them uh, remain muddy. I think there's so much more information for us to deal with a lot more to weed out. I think what helps now is that because we have so much more wagering on it, uh, looking at the lines in front of me right now compared to uh, the last uh, two previous years. Um, when you have that much more money uh, bet into something like that and it's spread out a bit more, it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable and that not only do you possibly have some uncertainty what you're putting out there, but there's also a lot of uncertainty in our player base uh, right now. I mean, the only significant loss we have so far 
on who will sit on the Iron Throne at the end of Season 7 is Daenerys right now. But we still have Cersei as a 1-2 to two, uh, favorite. Um, if we had maybe half or a third of that handle, but we still had that position on Daenerys, we might be more inclined to perhaps even make her a favorite. But we're comfortable with what we have right now as uh, Cersei being an odds-on favorite right now. We could be absolutely wrong, but the way our breakdown of uh, liabilities is currently sorted, uh, we're quite pleased with how we're putting... Uh, or how our book uh, currently looks on that. And as a result, uh, we're actually brainstorming later today some other stuff that we might want to put on, whether it's season-long stuff, whether it's uh, week-to-week episode stuff. So just trying to figure out what might work, what uh, is a little too tricky, and we'll probably go into some of those fan theories uh, as uh, what to generate uh, what we think will or won't happen for a lot of those. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Is the who will sit on the Iron Throne at the end of this season, is that the only active bet right now about game of thrones because in the past you've had uh, like weekly death bets and that sort of thing right yeah the old death pool that was popular so um just because we just reopened uh yesterday and uh the buddy who helps me out a little bit with these uh was off sick yesterday i told him we'd get together later today and go through a few other stuff so we might look at uh, the death pool uh bringing that back again but we also might look at some fan theories uh we think uh those are probably the more interesting ones which we've never really done before but just so whether Gendry uh, was uh, actually Cersei's uh, firstborn, there's a theory about that as well. And uh, there was uh, allegedly some filming overseas that showed him uh, knocking down some Lannister guards with a war hammer, which, of course, was uh, Robert's old weapon. So yeah. it's crazy you know, how far uh, you can go down some of these theories that might put out there. But I think people might be more, a little more interested in betting some of those as opposed to the death pools. However, the weekly stuff is good in the sense that uh, – just like live betting or blackjack, uh, you know very quickly whether you won or lost, and then you can right. kind of shuffle up and deal again, or you could take your money and go. So, yeah, we're trying to figure out what else we can add because with the money that uh, we get on this kind of stuff now, uh, we'd be kind of silly not to. Uh-huh. And can you recount any of your your best and worst picks so far? Like, uh, you know, the ones that you you feel in retrospect that you you had the odds set perfectly, or, or maybe you were kind of ahead of where the consensus on the market at the time was, or or another where you sort of got beat by the the market. Right. Um. Well, if, if we're talking specifically Game of Thrones, um, yeah. yeah. I would say the Gendry stuff really came out of nowhere for me, and then. It was the overseas uh, image. So we have him uh, 15 to 1 right now to be uh, on the Iron Throne at the end of season 7. I still don't think that that character would be satisfying for a lot of people. And it's not necessarily about satisfying in the happy ending. I mean, satisfying what you'd expect out of a George R.R. Martin. So we yeah. had him as high as uh, 50 to 1 prior to this overseas footage of him swinging a warhammer and uh, killing Lannister guards. Outside of that, I think we've been pretty close in the sense that uh, people like Daenerys, Jon Snow, and Tyrion have been uh, close to the top for the majority of this. Cersei doing what she did at the end of last season uh, definitely shot her up the ranks. We didn't have her close to the Iron Throne prior to that. But uh, unfortunately, neither of our players did as well. So in that sense, we were psychologically uh, right alongside them in terms of trying and evaluating or quantifying or how she was going to be... Um, Outside of that, uh, no, we've actually been pretty okay. Uh, yeah, and again, our liabilities uh, reflect that, that we haven't had too much to worry about. Just uh, we took a, a little bit of a hit on Gendry, but again, I'm not too concerned about that. It is interesting to see what his role will be uh, throughout the rest of the season, though. 
Yeah. And well, since this whole series is kind of built on the idea of, you know, demolishing these fantasy archetypes and the, the Prince Valiant and the, the good queen and the happy ending and all of that. And, you know, at this point, the series has sort of taught us to expect the unexpected. But then if you're in a position like you are, you, you must be thinking yourself in circles about maybe now the expected is the unexpected because we haven't been conditioned to expect, you know, the happy ending or, or, Something like that. So I guess, you know, does that make this even more difficult for you that you're trying to think along with Martin or or now the showrunners and there's this history of the show being this story where, you know, people at the height of their power just get erased without any warning and it's surprise after surprise, but now we're getting to the end and you kind of have to think that there has to be some sort of light at the end of this tunnel and, and maybe the, the good guys actually will win. So I, I don't know, is it possible to to overthink the the Game of Thrones predictions at this stage of the game? I, I would uh, very much agree. It's, uh, and again, uh, a lot of that is trying to parse uh, the information, the different fan, fan theories, what Martin likes to do. I mean, he definitely likes to punish uh, your typical uh, good protagonist, uh, I think with this expectation of, uh, you know, whether it's Jon Snow, whether it's Daenerys, uh, there's some interest in Tyrion potentially. There's also that theory that Tyrion would be the third head of the dragon, mm-hmm. Jon being the second. I think the more and more I look at it, though, I really like the idea of Jamie Lannister as the ambiguous hero, uh, either not just being Azor Ahai, but maybe, you know, going full circle and sitting on the Iron Throne just like he did uh uh, at the end of Robert's Rebellion, but maybe uh, with some kind of redemption story there. I think that would be satisfying for people and also satisfying in the sense that it would be believable if uh, sold properly and would also embrace uh, Martin's love for the ambiguous hero or even the anti-hero more so than, you know, the, the prototypical good uh, like a Daenerys or a Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask that's you. That's just my guess. <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to ask you if you had any any theories that you like a lot, even if you don't necessarily think they're the most likely, or you know, if you're not really having them inform the odds that you're setting, but you would just personally like to see as a fan of the series. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess I probably uh, teased into that one too much there, and that the Jamie one, and it might just be because it's my you know most recent. Uh, so as a result of the one that most uh, recently inter- uh, interests me, but otherwise, uh, I guess uh, part of that theory is this idea that uh, you know war with the others could potentially end with di- diplomacy outside of uh, outright war, and that's something where uh, George R. R. Martin, in interviews in the past, has uh, suggested his kind of uh, disgust for war in any form, uh, just, and he tries to. I guess people think that he glamorizes it with some of the shots from the show. Maybe in his way, he tries to think that it's, you know, quite foul. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, Jamie being both uh, the Valonker, Azor Ahai, and maybe uh, the king at the end of the season would be something that would interest me the most and something just because I'd never even thought of the possibility of it until this. So whenever I see something like that, that always kind of lights a fire under me a little bit and then sends me to the message board for another couple hours of lost time. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as these odds go live, are you then looking in real time as the bets are coming in? How, how often are you adjusting the lines based on the action that you're seeing in, in Game of Thrones specifically? Um, probably more than I should, but uh, <laughs> we obviously uh, suspend everything once the episode goes uh, live. 
just because, you know, sometimes I just want to sit and enjoy the show too for an hour instead of overreacting to every little thing I see on screen. Yeah. And then I'll usually rewatch the episode again a second time to try and uh, pick up on stuff. Cause that first time I just really trying to just relax a little bit. But after that, then uh, we'll usually reopen those lines either uh, later that night uh, or early the next day. And then it's uh, reading some recaps, rereading uh, more fan theories and then uh, going from there. So, and then after that, we don't do too much movement. Uh, I'd say the majority of the movement would probably come during the day on Monday when lines come back up. And then after that, it's, you know, smaller stuff throughout the week, uh, setting up all your different uh, columns in your tweet deck for keywords that uh, mm-hmm. people might be talking about. And but, but it's fun. It's something and it's something that I can enjoy a little bit more again with a slower part of the sports season for us. Uh, so it's good that this isn't happening uh, during the NFL where <laughs> my attention needs to be a little bit more focused uh, towards that. And right, rightly so. I mean, that is Game of Thrones uh, is getting big, but it's still not uh, quite NFL big for us. Yeah, right. Are there people placing bets on even the most far-fetched candidates here? I mean, are there people placing bets on on Gilly to to sit on the Iron Throne at the end of the season? Is that happening? Oh, absolutely. Everyone loves a long shot. Uh, thinking <laughs> back to last year, we had uh, Hodor at five thousand to one to sit on the Iron Throne at the end of the series, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we took uh, I think four different bets that totaled up to uh, seventy dollars in handle. So. Uh-huh. People were looking for their Leicester City moment in the form of Hodor. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the toughest calls you've had as far as whether to pay out on something? Because this is a show where people will appear to be dead and will be reanimated or not actually dead. You can never tell for sure if someone's dead until you see them bleeding. And even then, that's not definitive. So what challenges does that pose to you as far as ruling on on whether to pay out or not? Mm. Specifically, uh, that's a that's a really good question, actually, because uh, uh, there is certainly a lot of ambiguity uh, yeah. when it comes to who dies and who actually stays dead. Uh, right. So no, we, yeah, we've actually been lucky that we haven't uh, rolled something like that yet. Though what we would do is, I imagine we'd probably uh, defer to our uh, maybe even something similar to like our boxing rules, where the ringside decision is what counts. <laughs> so by that I mean, if someone were to die. And then come back like two months or something like that later. Uh-huh. We, we we would let people uh, get their wins back, and then if people had lost on next person to die, we would probably give them their money back and put them kind of back into the betting pool. Uh-huh. So for something like that, when it becomes really ambiguous, it's certainly in our uh, best interest to make sure that well, okay, people who got paid out would we'll leave them paid out, and uh, if this now means someone technically hasn't died we would put everyone's money back into the betting pool for something like that. Right. Were you doing the, the death pools when John died? And I mean, technically he, he did die, I suppose, and, and came back. So it doesn't necessarily have to be final, I guess. If you're, if you're raised from the dead, then you are, well, it depends if you're, if you're a, a white, maybe you're undead and, and not technically alive, but it's hard to say, right? Cause I think George R. R. Martin will say that someone like Barrick, Dondarian is undead, and yet in the show, I, I guess he's technically alive, as far as we can tell. So you kind of get into parsing the the technicalities of life and death here. Yeah, I think uh, the closest that we had was uh, shortly after the end of, uh, gosh, I think it was two or three seasons ago. Uh, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me right now. But when um, Marcilla was... Uh, poisoned uh leaving uh, Dorne heading back to uh King's Landing. Right, yeah. We were 
we weren't quite sure if she had died that we just saw her like bleeding and collapsing, but we weren't sure if she was, there was a possibility that could be saved. So we entertained the idea of opening up uh, a who will die next and making her a significant favorite. Uh And we left that open for a couple days. And then when the following season uh, came back, uh, everyone who, uh, who bet on Marcella, we paid them out and we did let everyone else's bet stands for the next deck. So that's what we did in that scenario. But it was on a much smaller scale. We didn't keep that up that long just because we were concerned about that ambiguity. But again, when that kind of ambiguity uh, ambiguity presents itself, it's in our interest to, to kind of pay out, pe- pay out people in the spirit of what they think they're betting into. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess these are the challenges that you do not face with traditional sports bets. <laughs> but um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the result uh, usually holds true in traditional sports betting. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I assume that if the scenario that people are betting about just never happens, like if no one is on the Iron Throne at the end of this season, if the Iron Throne is destroyed or vacant or something, then all the vets would be voided. That's correct, yeah. If no one sits on the throne at the end, then it would be a void for wagering purposes. Okay. Just because we didn't include that as a wagering option. Right, yeah. And is there anyone you work with who helps sanity check the odds that you come up with? Because you're you're the expert, you're the one who's delving deepest here, but is there a, a support team that you have that can kind of check you on these things, make sure you're not in too deep on a fan theory or something? Uh, just one other guy who, uh, watches it. He kind of does like the nighttime takeover for stuff like this and other entertainment stuff. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, before I sign off, if I see something that I, I don't like, I might ask him to look into a little bit more or I'll even bounce some stuff off him as well. But he just, he does the website stuff more than the fan stuff. He's never really watched much of the show or read any of the books. So mm-hmm. I get him to do a lot of the, the background stuff. If I think I'd missed something or if I've overlooked something. And uh, he'll be really helpful with the player profiling stuff as well, just because some of that stuff is valuable regardless of knowledge of the show or not. Yeah. And uh, I I guess this is the the case where being a big super fan of something really is helpful to you, because I would imagine that in betting and probably in odds making, often it's best to be kind of dispassionate and impartial and, you know, not follow either follow the team closely or not have a rooting interest or anything and you must because you were a fan of the series before you started making it part of your job but i guess the the enthusiasm that you have for the show and for the series enables you to spend the time that you do digging deep into this and mining for all the information so in that sense maybe it is ultimately helpful very much so and that's part of the reason why we started to do this otherwise i would have had uh you know, someone else do all this and probably not have been too concerned about how it played out aside from obvious acquisition stuff. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yeah, we, we, we make money off it, but it certainly doesn't drive the boat. So I don't need to be someone that's doing this myself. But yeah, it's uh, since the start of reading this, I've gone from being, you know, that snobby book guy who's teasing people who watch the show <laughs> to then, you know, cautiously getting a little bit nervous about how much it's catching up. Right. Then that anger moment where you realize it's caught up in getting past it. To the point now where I I don't even know if I would read the rest of the books if and when they ever do come out. That's how uh, that's how that emotion has uh, yeah. passed me and all this time I've spent reading these books. Uh, just I don't know if I want to read a second version of the story if uh, everything's going to deviate like this. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, so now now I'm now I'm in okay. I think I found I found my piece and uh, message boards uh, keep me up with enough content to uh, not miss the books as much as I did when I was. Uh, 
certainly much more frustrated about it. Yeah. And I know that many fans want to avoid spoilers and, and leaks and, and that sort of thing. But I guess you don't have that option, right? If there's any information at all out there, you have to know about it. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. I don't mind. I, I'm actually really excited when I see like a really good new fan theory that uh, holds up to scrutiny because it also reinforces that just, I guess I just do like a terrible job of watching the show or, I mean, I guess there's a reason why, uh, you know, only a certain amount of credible ones come out as often as they do. I guess a lot of people are missing them. It's not that obvious, Yeah. but, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's fascinating when someone else sees that. And uh, yeah, I, it doesn't bother me at all in terms of potential spoilers because it's just, it's just a theory. It's something that information was out there for everyone else to see. They didn't see that anywhere else. They uh, they either read the books or watched the show outside of that. Uh, Martin doesn't tease too much in interviews. Uh, that could be uh, useful unless you're trying to read into much into what he's saying. So no, I love that stuff. And uh, I know I end up getting distracted from a lot of other stuff I should be doing when I go down that uh, <laughs> that tunnel, so to speak. But, uh, you know, every now and again, I can get away with it. Yeah. And I mean, what percentile would you consider yourself to be in now <laughs> among Thrones uh, Cognoscenti? Like after spending as much time as you must be spending and, and rereading the book several times and the show and the fan theories, I, I mean, there there can't be too many people who are as well-versed in Thrones as you are, although there are some extremely well-versed people, some of them colleagues at The Ringer. Well, yes, you guys have uh, podcasts around it. Uh, You guys, uh, I know you write about it as well. So, Mm -hmm. no, and I think you guys do a good job of, I I would have said probably a couple of years ago, I would have comfortably said I'm in the 1% of people who knows what's going on or thinks he knows what's going on at least. Mm -hmm. But you guys do such a good job of uh, keeping everyone up uh, to date with the latest uh, fan theories, what's going on. uh, To ask the maester uh, column as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, ask the maester and, and binge mode and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I read all that stuff as well, and uh, you know, you guys are linking people to a lot of the stuff as well. So I don't know. I'd say maybe I'm in the top five percent still, and that's probably just because uh, I probably spend more time on those message boards than a lot of other people. But no, I think uh, you guys have done a really good job of probably making it tougher for us to uh, take any kind of uh, yeah. cheeky, uh, <laughs> cheeky odds postings on some of our stuff, trying to you have anything a little bit psychological with what we put out there i think the fan of the show is definitely much more knowledgeable than they were uh, even a season ago and certainly more than a few seasons ago yeah well, i'm sorry if we're costing you any any profits <laughs> but um and no but, uh, but, you're, but you're driving more interest uh, to it as well sure. and knowledgeable fan is someone who's more likely to uh throw some money into it and uh you know, the more money that we see, and if we think we have knowledgeable people betting into that, then we can respect that bet a little bit more in shade lines. So I think ultimately you're just driving, whether it's you guys writing, whether it's fans betting into stuff, that's leading us into more information. If I see a massive bet on Gendry or Tyrion or the Night King for whatever reason, I'll start scouring the web for more stuff. So I think all we're doing in a roundabout kind of way is trying to find out ultimately what's going to happen in the show, whether it's from a financial standpoint or a fan standpoint. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned possibly doing this for The Walking Dead. Uh, there there aren't many kind of consensus monoculture shows like this left anymore just because the audience is so splintered and there are so many options out there. So it's it's Thrones and maybe it's Walking Dead. And I don't know if anything else really is up at that level, maybe Bachelor, Bachelorette. But uh, are, have you considered extending this to any other shows in the near future? 
and having similar prop bets? We've done Bachelor and Bachelorette uh, before, uh, Dancing with the Stars and stuff like that. And it, it, it's fine, but it doesn't get the same kind of traction that this does when you have, you know, I don't want to say once in a generation show because Walking Dead's right up there with it. But mm-hmm. when you have a show that is HBO appointment viewing like Game of Thrones is like that, my Twitter feed just blows up. Uh, yeah. I mean, when the opening scene and, you know, Lady Mormont is uh, – throwing a little bit of shade to one of the other Northerners. Everyone's just like, oh, shit, Lady Mormont. Uh, <laughs> right. Sassy as fuck right now, and I apologize for cursing, <laughs> but I was just, that was pretty much what my whole feed was when uh, yeah. she put uh, the other Northern Lord in his place like that. And, uh, I mean, there's not too many other shows outside of uh, live sports, really, that gets that kind of your whole Twitter shuts down, or people who know that they can't be watching, like, I have to shut my Twitter down right now. Right. So again, if we can look to something like that, something else uh, similar to this uh, that has that kind of an engagement, then yeah, we'll definitely do more with that. And of course, uh, part of it has to be if I enjoy the show too. Yeah. Although it looks like you have a, a telenovela bet up right now. Uh, in addition to the the Michael Phelps versus the Great White Shark, you've got uh, Entierras Salvajes on your page with Game of Thrones as well and uh, an O.J. Simpson's parole hearing. <laughs> so there's a, a still a, a jumble of things there on the entertainment page. Yeah, uh, and we saw all of our Donald uh, Trump stuff still out there. Uh, we mm-hmm. already have 2020 election odds out there. And uh, I mean, gosh, we were at a point where we were trying to do one or two new uh, Trump's pro- Trump pops a week, but uh, it was yeah. getting difficult uh, just because there's so much news out there. And I mean, he tweets at all hours of the day. Sometimes whatever he tweets, like screws up something that we want to post. Uh, yeah. So I had to take a little break from that just because sometimes we need vacation too. <laughs> vacation from Donald Trump. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time. This has been fun. Very much, Ben. Reach out whenever you like. All right. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. So thanks again to Pat for coming on and being pretty transparent about his process. I actually asked him after we talked whether blending his fandom with his work has made him enjoy Game of Thrones more or less. And he said more. He says he finds himself watching episodes more intently, rewatching to pick up things he might have missed, as well as all the online research he does. So he's just more invested in the series, literally and figuratively, than he was before it became part of his job. So it hasn't seemed to sap any of the fun for him. He also told me that he enjoys casually mentioning to friends and family what kind of payout they could have received on something they just saw happen. So if you're sitting next to Pat when a beloved character gets killed, he will just compound your grief with an awareness of the potential profit you just missed out on. And since we spoke, Bovada has actually added a second Thrones wager, which is who will kill Cersei. Jamie, Tyrion, or someone or something else. So Pat just couldn't resist putting his Jamie theory to the test. When you gamble on Game of Thrones, you either win or you wish you hadn't placed the bet. And as we know, the house always wins, unless it's House Frey. So thank you for listening to this special episode of Channel 33, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. You can catch me elsewhere on that network every week on the Ringer MLB show and on Achievement Oriented, our video game podcast. And please check out all of our other Game of Thrones content on the Ringer, including our weekly written recaps by Allison Herman, the episode-by-episode breakdown podcast Binge Mode Game of Thrones, Jason Concepcion's Ask the Maester column, and our live reaction show, Talk the Thrones, which you can find on Twitter at Ringer after the East Coast airing of Game of Thrones every week. And please remember that if you bet on the wrong contender for the throne, be like a Lannister and pay your debts. And to paraphrase a couple warriors already removed from the death pool, I wish you good fortune in the wagers to come.